You are listening to the Ibn Abi Umar podcast. This is your host, Umar Osman. Assalamualaikum, everyone. I'm here with Sheikh Mikhail Smith from Gullam Institute, and we're talking about his book, With the Heart in Mind, a look at the moral and emotional intelligence of the Prophet Wasallam. Welcome, Sheikh Mikhail. And you have the honor of being the first guest in my new unofficial podcast studio. Uh, for doing interviews, which is like, look here for taking the time out to talk to us. Uh, no, thanks for having me, alhamdulillah. It's a pleasure. Um, I'm happy to be the first one here in this new studio, alhamdulillah. <laughs> alhamdulillah. Um, but uh, let's get let's get right into it. So I finished reading this book a couple of weeks ago, and I loved it because emotional intelligence is something that is, it's one of the buzzwords, yeah, right? And yeah. so it's in that space of professional development and leadership and all that stuff and companies and corporations are rolling out. We need EQ training. We need more emotionally intelligent managers and employees and customer mm. service agents and this and that. What what made you hone in on this topic and write a book from on, on this particular subject? Um, so, so at the beginning of this, so before I get into just this topic, I think one of the things I'm like one of those like Barnes and Noble type guys, you walk through Barnes and Noble, you see these type of books and yep. Uh, I think a lot of Muslim Americans and, uh, you know, uh, we do the same thing. We, we find these books or these topics which will better our lives, make us more productive or make us more uh, better, just better at being good believers. But they're not necessarily from an Islamic lens. And so what we have to do is we have to read it and then take out what is good for us, leave out the bad. We have to filter it and Islamify it. Yes, exactly. And so... What I felt was that there are so many of these topics, um, whether it be you know leadership, whether it be uh, living uh, in like digital minimalism or anything like that, that there can be an Islamic lens on that and make that information um, may, may just touch home a bit a bit better. Right. And so, <clears throat> with that in mind, um, I think it was maybe three and a half years ago or three years ago. Um, I can't remember exactly when the term EQ got on my radar, but I think a friend recommended me something or I saw a link on it and I just started to do some light research on it, just started to read on it, just started to, you know, and as an imam, I was like, oh, this is great for a khutbah, you know what I mean? Like it starts off that way, you know, and I just started studying it and reading it and what happened was I actually think I started in Maryland giving a few local workshops just on how those two concepts, the Prophet Sallallahu and EQ kind of joint came together. Um, and my notes started to form. I was getting all these things. I was reading different books on it, reading different articles and stuff. And that kind of became the beginning of it. And the more I read, the more I became convinced that this is something that needs to be looked at purely from the prophetic angle. So I, I love that you mentioned this because this that shift has probably taken me years to figure out, mm. which was reading these books that have all these frameworks and all this useful information Yeah, yeah. and being like, oh, we can either Islamify it or that we have a Muslim equivalent to this versus finally realizing, and this is going to sound stupidly obvious, which yeah. is that actually we already have everything yeah yeah and we need to derive out of that to develop these principles i think when we say islamify it or 
you know, I think we need to understand that we're not just talking about slapping Bismillah and Alhamdulillah at the beginning and the whole hook, line, and sinker we take. I think we need to use these things as a way to analyze our sources, what we already have, and just present those in a new way. And so in the book, what I'm trying to do is present to you what EQ is. Some people may not know, right? Present to you what EQ is. And then after talking about what EQ is, show that this concept, this thing has always existed in our tradition. And, and, and the main premise of the book is even deeper than that. And I'm sure we'll get to it in the, in the, as we get through this podcast. But um, the main premise is basically I'm just trying to show you that these beneficial knowledges should find their source in a prophetic source. And for us, right. the Prophet ﷺ. And so, um, yeah, that was my the main impetus behind it is sh- trying to show people that, hey, look at the Prophet ﷺ from this different perspective, which for um, you know modern readers is a new perspective. EQ is yeah. a relatively new term, right? But the realities of that term are not new. And yeah. they, they come from a source and we would say that source is from a divine revelation uh, and that's that's the thing that fascinates me most about let's say like personal development leader literature or leadership or eq any of these topics is you know we have the Mm sira and sunday school version of sira basically is like there was revelation uh quran came down then there was Hijra. Yeah, yeah. Then there was these three battles. Yeah. And then there was a conquest of Mecca and everyone lived happily ever after. Like that's li- like the entirety of the series boiled down into those like five or six bullet points. Mm-hmm. And what gets me is that when you start studying family or, you know, any of these subjects, you start seeing the seer in a different lens mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how the prophetic example is the best example of any of those lenses. Okay. Whether you want to look at it from moral intelligence or emotional intelligence or leadership or communication or family, or, mm. you know, management, like whatever lens you want to take, his example to is the best example. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And so let, let's start there. So how do you, de- for purposes of this book, how do you define emotional intelligence? Mm. And then with that, what did you find in the Sira that either anything surprise you in terms of what was congruent or not incongruent with that definition so uh, so so the first thing like when we talk about what is eq before we go into that i think we really need to have a short discussion on what is the primary role and objective of a prophet mm. what do prophets do and if we could just like make that very simple their job is to give a message to humanity. If that was, that's just like the simplest understanding of what a prophet does. Literally a messenger. Yeah, literally a messenger. Here's the message right? I'm delivering. Yeah, but but here's the here's the nuance thing to that. Um, we understand now, and people have always understood this, but there are barriers to receptivity, right. and in order for we call uh, the Arabic term is itmamul hujja, which means for the proof to be established against someone, right? So in Islam, we don't say that, we say if someone didn't get the message, then they're not accountable, right? Yep. But if they got the message, then they are they are accountable. But here's the deal. What do you mean by got the message? Does it mean mm-hmm. someone dropped it at your door and you know rang the doorbell, left something hanging? Or does it mean you got a three-hour seminar on Islam? What does it mean to get the message? And so... Um, what we begin with is understanding that the role of prophets 
uh, all of them والسلام, is to break through the barriers that could potentially stop the message from getting through and 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 when they could not get the message through this is this is absolutely amazing when they could not get the message through they always felt that it was because of their inability to get past a barrier or that they were the cause of a barrier themselves so it was never the onus of the audience isn't at my level they don't understand what i'm saying I did like I dropped the knowledge on them and, and yeah, did my part exactly and 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 so and we're gonna have to come back to this because I think khatibs and imams I sat in a khutbah the other day and 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 it was just so cringy oh my goodness because he's just dropping it hard and I'm like bro you you gotta you gotta understand how people receive information and it's it's amazing. so when we do khatib work and shameless plug I just wrote an article about uh-huh. exactly what you said yeah on yeah. my site but uh. One thing in Khatib workshop, Sheikh Abdul Nasser always does the tafsir of the Ayam Surat Al Jumrah that Kamathal uh, Himari Yahmidu Asfaro, that they're mm. like donkeys carrying books. Yeah, yeah. They said that usually people think that this is, you know, it's like a self reflective example that I have all these books and all this knowledge. Yes. And I'm like a donkey because I don't act on it. Okay. And he said that it was actually an address to the preachers ah. that they were like people who came and dropped the books wow. on the people and, just and turned them into donkeys because they didn't give them a way of wow. understanding it or acting on it. That's that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. So exactly. That's where we start. Out. And so uh, back to this point of itmamul hujjah, right? So like the point of prophets is not to do what you just said, which was just drop that message and bounce, right? But the point of the... the I, I copy-paste it into the WhatsApp message and yeah, now my part is done. And done. <laughs> no, but rather to, to, to for that person to accept it and it's a comment. So now with that said, uh, when we look at what the prophets were doing, and I, there's one example, I think the example of Ta'if where the Prophet was rejected from there and, you know, he's stoned and his words when he's leaving are almost like he didn't do enough. Mm. He's, but we know he did. Right. But he, as a preacher, feels like I didn't do enough to work past. So, like his example is always self accountability and responsibility. Yeah. And so, it's my job as a conveyor of this message to work past the emotional and cognitive barriers that people put up uh, to receptivity. They they just don't want to receive the message. And so, that was where we're starting with is this concept that prophets now. This concept of itmam al-hujjah is important because if prophets, let's speak, speak in some hypotheticals here. Yeah. If prophets were not given the knowledge of how to understand uh, yeah. people, if they weren't given the knowledge of how to get past the emotional barriers, how to get past the cognitive barriers, then how could the proof ever be established then the people would have an excuse exactly that our messenger didn't communicate the message to us properly exactly and that's where the this book begins and you know what was my biggest impetus the biggest impetus was um there's a well-known institute called the school of life yep. uh in in in, in we were just talking about it off mic yeah yeah and so they have um an institute which is all about the secularization of eq right it's yeah. they're a purely secular institute uh, they have nothing to do with religion whatsoever, and they're huge pushers of EQ and all types of stuff like that. And, and it's real, some really good stuff, actually. Yeah, it's awesome stuff. It's amazing <laughs> stuff. Amazing stuff. And so I bought some of their stuff as I was doing research, and I'm reading through their stuff, 
and they're having amazing stuff on EQ, but here and there I'm seeing all these plugs for atheism, all these plugs for just spirituality. And I, there was something I came across where they explicitly said that something about like the secularization of emotional intelligence or something to that matter. And I was like, wow, inna lillah. Like, yeah. this is the worst form of forgery you can imagine because our understanding is that prophets were inspired. And that's my premise in the book. Prophets were inspired with the tools for opening up hearts the tools for opening receptivity. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala realized that these people had the, lar the, the, the largest burden for passing on a message. Right. So like I said, if they did not have that knowledge, then the proof would not be established and then there's a deficiency. So basically the, the premise is that emotional intelligence was a form of wahi almost. Like As, It's almost by definition that if someone is going to be tasked with prophethood yes or given prophethood then it almost follows that they have to have the highest form of emotional intelligence yes and and, and i have a proof there's proofs too from the seerah um we all know the story of abasa wa tawalla right so so i think now and this is where i feel like the prophet some said my lord taught me uh, he educated me he cultured me um and he gave me the best education we do find slips in the Prophet Sallallahu assessment of a, of a situation. We do find slips in that, in Abasa wa Tawalla, right. where the blind man came and he was already talking to someone and so on and so forth. He thought that the better move was for me to talk to this person and he kind of turned away from the other person. And so we see that whole situation to me has to do with a level of emotional intelligence as well, where he's being educated on the best way to handle things. So. Again, the, the concept or the basic premise before we jump into what is EQ and all that, the basic premise that I'm beginning with is that, look, this knowledge that we've now coined as emotional intelligence, almost every aspect of it 100% um, fits on what the role of prophets were. And it has to have been perfected by the prophets. Yeah. And thus, if, that, if we hold that to be true, then those who are followers of the prophets have the biggest responsibility as custodians of the message and just as followers, even if they're not someone passing right. it on, just as followers. You say you follow Muhammad, so I tell them, then you have to kind of, you know, be in touch with his message. So they're, what I'm trying to say is like the followers are thus inheriting that knowledge as well. Can right. you also make the argument that this would be like a sunnah to follow? Oh, 100%. Because, you know, when we talk about sunnah, we always talk about actions or rituals. How do you see like the sunnah of EQ being articulated? Yeah, the sunnah of EQ would be like like how to listen to people when they're talking to you. You know what I'm saying? How to uh, you know you know give someone attention or uh, understand someone deeply or influence them positively. As we go into what EQ definitely like. So, so this is interesting, right? Like this is these are things I think people don't think about. If I sit and I'm talking to my kids and they're you know five year olds gonna talk about some crazy thing with their toys that doesn't yep, make any yep. sense minecraft or whatever but to yeah uh but to sit and attentively listen with that intent then would that be an act of reward that i'm trying to follow the sunnah of yeah listening i think we missed that i think we totally missed that um in islam we have a lot of things you're supposed to do ritualistically almost and i don't mean ritual as a negative word but right. just in the, in the in the sense that we it's do easier it regularly. To quantify yeah and and so we get into that all right I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm eating with my right hand. I'm, and these are all important sunnahs. Like yep. we follow those. But 
we should not at the same time miss on the deeper sunnas. And here's something I find, which is, uh, I hope, inshallah, the reward of revival of a sunnah um, in this book, because um, how to uh, connect to people and how he listened, those are subtle sunnas that perhaps if a person was to revive those, they would find the blessing or benefit that, of that in their day-to-day -day life with the people they love the most. Now, you touched upon something very interesting, which was the example of sitting with your child while they're talking about something that you know is not quite interesting to you, but interesting to the person, yep. um, and giving them your full and complete attention and presence. Um, in the book, there's a study that talks about how uh, to increase children's emotional intelligence. And this is very interesting. The study says basically that first thing you need to understand is that children learn or download all their emotional intelligence primarily by observation of their parents. That is the first place they're learning emotional intelligence. So the way you respond to you know you know dropping spilling something on the table that's how they're going to respond well it's not just that it's deeply ingrained too and it took me a long time to realize this was mm -hmm. when you you know when you quote unquote when you grow up and you have a family and you have your own kids yeah the way that you do things at home no it doesn't matter what books you've read or what lectures you've heard yeah when it comes to how you're handling things with your spouse or how you're handling disciplining your kids or teaching them you don't have a manual and even if you do, you're not going to sit and study it. Mm. Your behavior will default to doing what your parents did mm, in terms of how they handled disagreements in the home, mm. how they handled finances in the home, mm. how they handled, you know, tough conversations about grades or, what you know, whatever the million and one things that go into running a house. Yep, yep. But your behavior defaults to what you, what yeah. you model, what you saw. Yeah, and that, that definitely then leads over to how you eat, deal with emotions, how you deal with frustrations, how you deal with anxiety, how you deal with all these things. That is clearly, clearly a part of emotional intelligence because uh, one-fourth of emotional intelligence is uh, management of emotions. And so they're watching you. Now, what's very interesting now, if we understand, now this study was saying that the primary place that children learn is from their parents. But they were saying that if you want to increase a child's emotional intelligence, the most productive way to do that is to actually do a joint learning experience with the child. So example, they said it's like solving a puzzle mm. where the children see you struggling too. Right or or you know trying any like a math oh, so problem doing homework together. How you're solving a problem. Or... Yes, and so and they said the least productive way is to passively be in the presence of one another, looking at something else. And they were literally just talking about watching TV together or watching a movie together. That's the, yeah. because they're not observing you. They're not observing you deal with emotions. Well, it's even worse than to be sitting next to them and each of you on your own screen. Yeah, I mean that's just like not even <laughs> not even on the radar. Um, but. So I want to make one more loop with this. It's very interesting. The Prophet ﷺ in one hadith. Now I know there's a metaphoric meaning here, but listen to the meat. He says, I am like a father to you. I teach you to the whole ummah. So I know it's metaphoric, right. but nonetheless, if emotional intelligence of children is based on watching their parents, and the Prophet ﷺ is literally saying, I am a father to you. I teach you.
Yeah. That's telling us, wait, you're supposed to be learning emotional intelligence from this man. So all those things that you're trying to figure out how to model, go there and get go it. Go there, learn it from there. That's your model for emotional intelligence. And oh, it's just very, very interesting. I find it just amazing when we start to, when we see, when I see young Muslims and even, you know, any across the spectrum start to wake up and realize that my emotional connection to people, and we'll get into this as we talk about what are the four areas of emotional intelligence, so on and so forth. But um, just the wake up that happens, there's so many people, they start to realize like, I've been living for so long with people I love, but I am so emotionally disconnected from them. I have no idea. And so what I do in the book and in the workshop that I travel around and do is just try to give examples where case studies, so we'll take a hadith or an incident and try to identify where we see emotional intelligence in that particular um, that particular narration. Yeah. So when when doing this book, you you know you did a lot of research in EQ. Mm-hmm. Did you find anything in the modern literature, secular literature, that went against the principles in the Sira? Oh, that's a good one. Um, let me think on that one. Anything that went against the principles. I know. I know. There's one thing that you Sira. talked about, kind of bigger picture, was the idea, and I wanted to get into moral intelligence, but was the idea that moral intelligent moral intelligence must be combined with emotional intelligence. Oh yes, that's a good point. Yes, uh, because yes. otherwise the EQ can be used to manipulate manipulate okay. people, so, so to speak. So let's let's. That, I'm glad you brought that up. So. Yes, definitely. So so let me tell you how the book started. The book okay. started with just EQ. Like I was only concerned with EQ, 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 EQ. And somewhere along the line, and it must have been there the whole time, but somewhere along the line, I I was dealing with the fact that there's nothing grounding the EQ. Yeah. There's nothing pulling it down. There's nothing like grounding it so to speak there's no accountability yeah and and so it was interesting to me i was like well there must be something else in this concept or construct of aql it can't just be eq what is that other element and so i went back to the concept of revelation and say wait hold on what is revelation all about and for us revelation is about a code a way of life right do's and don'ts rights and wrongs like if you just want common denominator we're muslims we submit submit to what to the do's and don'ts of god right so um now to pass on those do's and don'ts the eq is necessary so but basically there's two ways to look at eq eq can be seen as something just for my own emotional well-being and that is good like self-enrichment Yes, and self-understanding, uh, uh, understanding of, yes, understanding of myself. Example, Prophet Islam says, La taqda, don't get angry. Well, you can't not do something you're not aware of. So you have to have emotional awareness of anger. You have okay. to understand it first. And these are all steps in emotional I have to realize that I get angry. These are the things yeah, that make me angry. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Why are you angry? What causes it? What are signs that you're getting angry? Da, 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 da. Right? That's all EQ. But then what I, what I so what we're understanding is, the other part of EQ is now, like I said, the a means by which the message can be passed on. But what message? That's where I brought in the moral intelligence component, which is basically the do's and don'ts of revelation. This is good. This is bad. This is sin. This is the love. That message is what we're actually trying to put into someone else. And so 
it's that message is basically, you know, the best example, you know, the best example that I give is a syringe, okay. a syringe, a syringe is a tool, uh, a, you know, a device, which a very skilled person uses, a technician uses to place some medicine in a very, very specific place. They can't go an inch deeper. They can't go an inch to the left or right. the right. There's a very specific place that that medicine or it could be other stuff in the syringe. But nonetheless, something is being put in the syringe in order to be put inside the body. Now, the syringe must be used by a proper person who understands it, must be used very carefully. If done so correctly, then whatever is inside the syringe will get to the It'll person. have the intended effect. Exactly. And so therefore... The emotional intelligence is the medicine inside. The the moral intelligence, I'm sorry, is the medicine or the thing inside the, uh, what you call it, inside the... It's the thing being delivered. Yes. And the syringe itself is the emotional intelligence. The syringe and the one using it, it's that tool that is very delicately used to place something right where it needs to be. And so basically in the first half of the book, I'm talking about... Um, I'm just going through the whole construct of what intellect is. Then we go into moral intelligence, which is what's inside the syringe. I think that's a big topic. I didn't want to focus on that as much, but I felt it necessary because we do struggle with that. We, we American Muslims have issues with, uh, you know, just submitting and realizing that our, our, our law comes through revelation and so on and so forth. So, and and actually, I do want to go a little bit deeper here because I know you brought this up toward the end of the book, but I think it's important to talk about now. One of one thing that I've noticed, at least, is I feel when you look at a lot of these conversations that happen when people get together at conferences or WhatsApp groups or whatever yeah. medium there is, but there's a lot of conversations where I feel like people are debating very hypothetical topics or complicated topics. Yeah. And I feel that at the root of the inability to, to reconcile is sometimes a lack of accepting revelation as the ultimate authority yeah. or, or a lack of accepting that revelation does indeed have the best version of how we should live our lives. Yeah. You know, whether you want to label it ethics or morality or what have you, yeah. but it, it's an inability to reconcile between what society values mm. maybe versus what, revelation values yeah you talk somewhat about subjective morality or morality changing yeah how do we how do we approach that topic that's a big big topic okay so the reason i included subjective morality versus you know objective morality or even absolute morality not necessarily absolute but objective morality is this um the the major problem as you just articulated so so well um is that uh, we can't get over the fact that our moral truths don't come from within us. They come from outside of us. Um, I think young people struggle with that. And, 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 and quite frankly, I think it's being quite literally shoved down the throats of many uh, young... Why is there such a desire for it to come from within? Why, why is that seen as well, so that's, virtuous? Because that's individual. That's, that's the concept of individualism. That's the concept of... Uh, being free from uh, suppression of what religion says you should live like live you know I was in Cali and they were telling me one of the common statements in Cali is speak your truth yeah speak your truth and it's like 
I can't imagine a young person, Muslim, hearing that phrase over and over again and walking into a khutbah and hearing this imam or, you know, person, walking into a lecture, hearing a scholar talk about God says and all day they've been hearing speak your truth. There's a major struggle that's happening inside that heart because our children are literally being... You know when I really realized this? I was doing a workshop. I was in Maryland at this time. Um, I was doing a workshop on... I was just doing a youth class. They were having like a qiyam that night. And so um, I was talking to young... I mean, they must have been in sixth grade to eighth grade. And I was talking about the truth or something like that. And one of the seventh graders, he said, yeah, but isn't, isn't truth subjective? And I'm thinking, wow, man, this has yeah. really been, you've been convinced of this. And so I, I diverted the whole class and then we just talked about it, you know, and I, I went into different aspects of where subjective morali morality leads you to. And we are still there. We still have major issues in our community with articulating publicly that we have an objective truth and certain things are outside of the fold of what we as Muslims accept. Um, and... And the challenge is always when that goes against the normative society. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a struggle. It's a struggle. So I, I gave one whole section to that, and I I depended on quite a few different Christian uh, scholars and some of their writings, and um, it, it just it just the literature out there is so enriching. It's a beautiful subject to read about, and I think a lot of people get tired of the whole philosophical discussions. But you know, okay. So at the, I know we're jumping around a bit, but at the end of the book, I talk about radical change and a method for forming radical change. And one of the things I talk about is that you have to build a framework for the change before the change begins. Now, what that means... You have to set the stage. You have to set the stage. And so... What happens is sometimes you're telling someone, hey, you know, we should, you know, I'll give you an example. S someone says, hey, if you pray Salat al-Fajr and sit at your spot until sunrise and pray Tudorakat, you get the reward of Hajj. Now, if someone's frame of mind is set already and their worldview is correct, that is an action item. They hear it and they're like, wow, Prophet said oh, that? doing it tomorrow morning. I'm doing it tomorrow morning. Other people are still, they're not even convinced of the framework. So that information, excuse me, that information being dropped, it doesn't have anything to build upon. And so what a, what we talked about in this last section, and the only reason I'm bringing this up is because it is connected to moral intelligence. The last section says, listen, there's single loop learning and double loop learning. Yeah, I wanted to get into this with okay. you. And, and I don't mean to fast forward to the end of the book, but it definitely ties in to this concept um, of, uh, 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 of moral intelligence because... Let's talk really briefly, single and double loop, real brief. Okay. So single loop is me telling you, you sit after Fajr until sunrise and pray to Rakat, you get the reward of Hajj. I'm just giving you an action item to do. It's just, bam, this is what you need to do. And I'm already, re I'm ready to receive it. I'm ready to receive and it. And act on it. Now, double loop learning, by definition, forces someone to question assumptions to build a new frame of reference. Now, if we in a in a in a in a well thought out education, a religious education, you'll have double loop learning, single loop, double loop, single loop, double loop, and each time the person is rising, 
Do you get what I mean by that? So they're all continuous cycle where they're building. They're building. You each have time. double loop to set a stage, single loop to do something with it. Yes. Now another double loop to prime them again, so to speak. And go to the next level. And go to the next level. Now, but here's the problem. If you only did double loop, and this is a major problem on social media, but if, if you're smart, you can you can uh, get what you need from it. But some uh, um, some people are specialists, right? And they only talk about the isms, the ism of materialism, the ism of liberalism, the all of, and what they're trying to do is double loop learning. They're trying to get people to re. They're trying to challenge people's frameworks and assumptions. Why? Because they want people to build the edifice of Islam on those new frameworks. But the problem is. If there's no single loop action items, you're not doing anything. Then you're just drawn into toxic debates back and forth. Back all day. Like, yeah. all right, dude, I'm convinced about atheism. I'm convinced about liberalism. It's done. I'm done. Yeah. Now, now what? what? <laughs> now let's do. Now go to the masjid and listen to your imam who's just telling you single loop things to do. But they won't. <laughs> and we'll sit there and debate. Yeah. So what? I, my point is this is very important for educationalists to understand. You can't assume that a, a, an American Muslim audience has already um, come to the same assumptions. And there's there's a, there's a few places in the book where you're challenging certain frameworks that people have. Okay. And I think one of I think one of the biggest ones is individualism. Okay. In the sense of um, there's I'm going to throw a couple of things at you mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. they're all related. Um, one is that Shaitan was the first to use flawed logic, mm. right? So he he gave his individual stance and let, well, let's start there. Yeah. Shait, so Shaitan was kind of that little individualism, but why is and and we see the story of Shaitan. Yes. Right. I'm created from fire. Adam is created from clay. Why should I bow down to him? I'm better than him. Yeah. Oh Allah, you made me do. You know, he comes with all of ex, his excuses, but why is that type of irrational thinking so appealing? We, you know, we can look at the story of Shaitan and see how flawed it is, yeah. but then we still adopt the same logic, so to speak. Okay, so so um, in the moral intelligence, in the section on Aqal, we do talk a, a lot about the sciences that were in a classical Islamic pedagogy. Pedagogical, the pedagogical system of classical Islamic studies was heavy in logic. There was a lot of training for two things, training for your grammar to make your speech straight and training for of logic to make your mind straight. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that grammar protects you from fallacies of the tongue and logic will protect you from the fallacies of thought, um, what are, what's bad thinking. And so I mentioned how the deduction that Iblis did was, okay, I'm fire, he's dirt. Fire rises, dirt falls. That means I'm better. No, it doesn't. You did bad logic. Yes, your premises were all correct, but your conclusion was completely flawed. It was it was not correct. And so um, when we talk about, in the beginning of the book, when we talk about the aqal, I, I spoke about what was intelligence for the classical Islamic educational system. How did they see the crafting of intelligence? And this is what's so, so interesting. At the, at the pinnacle, the, at the, the peak of Islamic education, is revelation, like Quran and Sunnah. It's at the peak. So why are we studying all this logic? There's so much on the way up, but because we felt that we understood that Allah blessed us with this mind, because it should lead us to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. It should lead us to recognize. So why does it then sometimes lead to disbelief? 
when people feel like they're being so, so in, logical. So in my discussions with uh, CD Hamza Zortes, in my time over there in England with him, um, there, atheism is, is irrational from many perspectives. Right. Like there's a there's arguments for the irrationality of atheism, and many atheists uh, are giving up like just rational thought because they have to explain rationality from irrationality. You, you know what I'm saying from that? Yeah. Like they have to literally say that me and you who are rational beings, just we came to... from a, a, now irrational here means a series of random blind events yeah. led to rationality. That it, 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 That's irrational in and of itself. Right. It doesn't add up. And so, um, okay, let me just say this. Many times we deal with a lot of undergrad students, a lot of high school students that say, you know, they come, they, they took one philosophy class. They, now they know everything. Yeah, and now they're like, you know, Islam, well, it doesn't make da, 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 da. Honestly, man, like, they, how can I say it nicely? I mean, most of the people I've experienced on this, and, and I haven't, you know, uh, uh, debated big on this issue, but most they don't have a, a firm ground in, in, in logic. They don't have a firm ground in... And in, in these discourses of rationality versus irrationality, and I find their arguments to be extremely shallow, and most of the time they're just parroting what they saw in a YouTube is it, video. Is it as simplistic as just the arrogance of the ego? That's it. That's it. I mean, when I was studying with, uh, doing that, 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 that training with Hamza Zortes, uh, we talked about barriers to the fitrah. What are the barriers to fitrah? Or what are the things we'll use to uncloud the fitrah? Um, and so one of the things we'll use is the Quran. One of the, because it, the sound of it, the, the words can be very strong. Hadith can even do that. The other is rational arguments. Those can be used to clear the fitrah. And the last is emotional connection. Many of the people, 90% of those who say they have a rational reason for leaving Islam, it's purely emotional. There's some emotional baggage there. And 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 that's why um, I think it was uh, Ustad... Uh, Ustad Abdurrahman uh, Murphy, uh, he was, we were talking and they have a, they have a saying, which is lunches over lectures, right? Lunches over lectures, building meaning, connection. Yeah. Don't, don't focus on the lecture as a da'i. The problem isn't intellectual. And so this brings us to a very, a very important point. Speaking to the gut of people versus speaking to the minds of people. This is huge. Yeah. Because people don't usually think they like to think. That they decide with their mind, yeah. but they don't. And and so and anyone that's bought a house knows that. Anything, I mean, subhanAllah, like it's so it's so interesting. These people are forming all of these rational arguments, but nine times out of ten, and this is not hard facts, but nine times out of ten, the person doesn't need a logical argument. They made a decision based on a gut instinct. You right. know, speak to the gut of people, not speak to the mind. And I was reading, I'm reading now one of, the, I mean, a phenomenal book, The Righteous Mind by uh, Dr. That's on, that's Jonathan on my Haidt. list, yeah. Um, it is phenomenal. And um, I, it's a, I recommend it to everyone. Um, and he talks about how, he goes into a little bit of politics, how Republicans understand uh, this this uh, moral psychology better than uh, Democrats uh, because the Republicans for a long time have been speaking to people's guts. They stop speaking to people's minds per se because people don't make decisions based on that. One right. of the things he says is this. Um, he says that uh, with a number of studies to support it, that the rationality is more like a lawyer 
than a decision maker. Mm. In that the lawyer just defends what the intuition already decided to do. So it's just self-justification. Yeah. And if you understand that, that is wisdom, man. That is huge. Because you... So what that means is that as long as you push someone's gut feeling, they themselves will come up with the rational justification for their belief. There, so there's something else that you, you put in the book, and I actually wrote this down because I wanted to mention it when we spoke, was that people are blinded to the pains of those closest to us uh, by the, or we are blind to the pains of those closest to us by the goals that we set. Hmm. And it, and it reminded me for, for some reason. So, um, I was doing some research around the, I, you know, empathy and compassion and those types of things. And it came across the ayah in Surah Yasin, uh, that when they're told to spend from what Allah has given them, those who disbelieve say to those who believe, should we feed those who Allah would have fed them had he willed? Okay. Like, why should I have to take this uh -huh, on? Uh -huh. And I wanted to tie this back with the double loop learning of, I feel like society pushes the individualism so hard that we lose... Uh, compassion for other people that mm. like i'm working hard i'm going to school why can't you do what i'm doing yeah and and like you said we become blinded to the pains of those around us and we lose that empathy because we're stuck in that framework of individual self-actualization at all costs yes who do you think in our society who do you think are the most uh okay if we were to look at the structure of society just look at a family per se who loses the most from individualism? And by definition, we mean my prioritizing my personal gains over the collective well-being. That will be our definition for a bit here. Okay. Right? Who do you think um, gets the, the shortest end of the stick with that mentality in a household? Kids. Who, kids and who else? There's another... There's and another spouse. Uh, not only your spouse, but... If you look at children and elderly, children and elderly, they are the ones who miss out the most because the elderly take my time, mm. like my grandmother, my older mother, I need to take her shopping, I need to take my dad somewhere, he can't get the thing for himself, I got it. children as well, children take away from my time, I got to take them for soccer practice, I got to take them for this, that's all impeding on my individual goals. Now, here's the other thing. If we understand that, then we can understand why emotional intelligence and emotional connection to these people has become deprioritized as well. Because these are the people that are emotionally the most, uh, the most emotional investment is needed in them. Children take a lot of our emotional. And so if I invest in them, I'm detracting from my goals. Yes. And because I've adopted this societal norm that my purpose is to live my dreams and follow my passions yep. and live my best life yep. so to speak yeah then those become necessary compromises ra rational and justified compromises you could argue yeah yeah uh, exactly i i agree 100 percent. and to me individualism definitely has uh, sucked the life out of our emotional connections with people who need it who need it. So elderly and the young. 
those are the two classifications that need a lot of emotional investment. A lot. So, so you mentioned you're talking about emotional investment. What did you find in the EQ or Sierra literature about how to emotionally invest in people? Ah, oh, subhanAllah, such important. It's so deep. So, how to emotionally invest in people? First thing first is I, I from what I've seen is presence, 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 presence. Um, showing up is half of half yeah, the yeah, right. That's what they say, or right? whatever the saying. Yeah, yeah, showing up. It's so true though. But 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 let's take that to a deeper level though. Showing up doesn't mean just physically. Yeah. That, because how many times you can be physically there but still absent. Yeah, and 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 Subhanallah, we live at a interesting time. Actually, because, and let, let me tell you. So one, this has been really crazy. So I've done like these pick up social media presentations, and inevitably. I'll get someone that comes up to me privately afterward and they're like, yeah, I just want to ask your advice. Cause you talked about, you know, cause I, I, I do go, I do talk about like the, the phone thing at home and all that. And they're, and I've had women, sisters come up to me like, you know, my husband comes home and he's tired. It's been a long day at work. And then he sits there on the couch on WhatsApp until he goes to bed, just chatting with his friends, watching videos, this and that. I had the same thing at an MSA where a 19-year-old kid came up to me. He's like, basically, I'm... He didn't say it in so many words, but like, I'm literally raising my younger brother mm. because my dad sits at home and talks to his so friends on WhatsApp all think, day. So he's think, there, but he's not doing anything. Yeah, so I don't. I think we should understand that. Okay, okay. We were talking about individualism for a moment. Yeah. I don't think individualism and the our striving for our... I don't think the our striving for our own goals and objective that side of individualism affects this particular problem. This particular part, no. Yeah. There, but there is an angle of I get home and like you know what I gotta stay on top of my text messages from work. I gotta yes. check my work emails yes. even if it's dinner. You know, there used to, when we we're like when we we're I'm a little bit older than you, but growing mm. up was dinner time was dinner time and you didn't answer the phone right like yeah. the house phone would ring no, you didn't I remember, answer I remember, I remember. right but now it's like you're sitting to dinner it's like you're replying to work emails yeah. like that's normal yeah one of the best one of a good book i read which was a quick read was called hands-free mommy uh it sounds it's a funny book but it, it's basically about um a, a, a woman who she noticed she starts a book by telling how one day she took her child her daughter to the park she was a stay-at-home mom uh, she took her daughter to the park, but she happened to forget her phone at home. And so she goes to the park. She takes her friend. Uh, she takes. She forgets her phone. I'm sorry. She forgets her phone. She takes her daughter to the park. And while she's at the park, she ends up having to just watch her daughter while the daughter's... And do nothing. But she says what she realized was how many times her daughter looked back at her for some type of like confirmation or validation. Oh, yeah. And so she said, I realized how many times I failed to be present with her so i was there physically but she needed more than my physical presence she literally needed so so let's circle back so in this theme of individualism and all that what is the way to emotionally invest aside from oh yes yes aside from presence right? um so but no presence I mean, that's is the, the main first presence the first, first step because now i'm going to talk about listening well Right. And that's a topic like I was talking to you before the podcast. That's a topic I'm, I want to start doing a lot more research on. And we'll see where that goes. But listening, um, how to listen well. I think when a person becomes a good listener and there's many aspects to listening, listening is not a passive 
skill. It's an active thing. That's the first thing we need to realize. Uh, it takes work to listen. Um, um, it, it, it's not just about hearing sounds, but listening. Um, so I think when we first begin to listen, that's a first sign of emotional investment. What do we mean investment? Let's, let's, let's deconstruct this word. Emotional investment. Investment means I'm taking something of my own and putting it into something. For it to grow. For it to grow. What can be more investment than to take my time and put it into someone else's life? Literally, you have issues, you have your problems, and I'm taking 20 minutes of my life. That's, that's what it is. And I'm giving it to you. That's hard for people to do. It's very difficult. You get what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Right? So like for me to give you 20 minutes of my time with no distractions, we're not talking partial time. We're talking yeah. 20 minutes. Focused, yeah. I've just invested part of my life into you. That's emotional investment. And I'm just listening to you. But here's the here's here's where here's where it grows. When you listen, when you listen deeply, and I don't mean to sound abstract, and I need our listeners to understand, I'm not going off into abstract discussion now, but you begin to hear what the heart is saying, not what the words are saying. Now I'm not speaking abstract. What I mean is this emotional language is different than what's said. Spe right. A child, like, I always give this example. You know, people say, oh, my, my, I told my son to pray, and my son said, I hate Islam. I don't want to pray. I'm like, that's not what he meant. He meant something else. He probably meant that he's tired of you annoying him to pray. Yes. <laughs> and he said something, but that's not what his heart is saying, mm. right? That's not what, and, and what the problem is, we've, we don't read between the lines anymore. We don't mm. listen to what someone is. Well, especially if the majority of the conversations are happening without the element of tone of voice or body language, <laughs> just emojis or, and caps locks. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's actually very detrimental because it's much easier to take things the wrong way. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent, hundred percent. This has been so inspiring to my life. I'm because I realize. My ability to be present and listen to people is indicative of my ability to be present and listen to Allah as well. Think about four moments of presence and four minutes, I'm sorry, of presence and prayer. That requires you to bring your mind to the moment, be right there in the moment. But if you can do it for four minutes in prayer and practice that five times a day, or when your child comes in front of you, are you able to now do this? You'll be able. You get it? Right. Like, like it's amazing that Allah is giving us these five these five times a day. Stop everything. Be present. And then I'm now talking about and, actually, and, the, and people are now trying to engineer this. Oh my! With and meditation and mindfulness. This is crazy. Yeah. This is what's so inspiring. If Muslims, if we, oh, I was going to say it's aggravating. <laughs> No, it, it's, I, I don't know. I'm trying to be more optimistic with myself these days. Um, there's too many salty shakes yeah. out there. You know what I mean? Too many salty shakes, man. Lately, I've been thinking so many yeah. salty shakes out. Stop being so angry, man. Have optimism for the ummah, man. We're going in good places. But, but there's so much now research done that if you look deep enough, you will be convinced that your prophet came, salam, with the best message. There are so many, and of course, there are always counter studies, this and that, but time is proving itself true, man. And 
Um, and so like I was just trying to say with this particular example, and you said like now they're teaching transcendent meditation to cure. Now right. they're using transcendent meditation to, to de-stress. They're using transcendent meditation. And, and if you read how to do transcendent meditation, they literally say like, take a phrase, a mantra, and repeat it softly on your tongue. I'm like... Surapatha maybe? Or, or just subhanAllah, subhanAllah, subhanAllah. Be present with your... And, and, and we've become so... We have different camps, but some of us have become so ultra... Cons, uh, no, ultra literalist not even conservative, literalists, that when you say words like meditate, they're like, what, what is that? Is that some Buddhism stuff? I'm like, no, what do you? The Prophet Sallallahu it says that he used to go to a cave right. and sit there with nothing. What was he doing if not meditation? It's meditation. It's a form of preparing your heart to connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, being present. And unfortunately, first of all, two, we're hit by two fronts. We have phones and all these things that just constant distractions. Right. Right. Number two, that's number one. We're just being killed by that. And number two, no one's promoting this from the religious perspective. Yeah. That's like, the... like no one is sitting there in the khutbah saying, we need to meditate, brothers and sisters. Like, oh, bidda, get out of here, yo. You're like, what are you saying? Do I have to just say it in Arabic for it to be okay? Like, are we yeah. at that level where, okay, we have to do yatahannaf the way the Prophet ﷺ sat in quiet for a moment. Oh, okay, now I get it. Come on, man. Girl, we yeah. need to, we, we need to, you know, grow up a bit to be a bit, like, straightforward. We need to understand that there's good out there. We need to take the good and bring that into our um, practices as long as it's based and grounded in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So another thing I wanted to to talk about with you so in terms of emotional investment emotional interactions um so i'm going to preface this with a little bit of my own hypothesis so to speak okay and that is that there's so many different narrations so many different stories that people came to the prophet and they would shake his hand or they would meet him they would look at him mm. and they would accept islam okay right they would just immediately like i see you like oh yes this must be the prophet mm. and and there's no there's no pamphlet. There's no, let me sit and tell you what the five pillars of Islam are. This is what our belief in Allah is. These are the names of Allah. Okay. This is the Quran. This is what, you know, there's there's nothing. There's no conversation almost. Mm. It was just like meeting me like, oh yeah. Yeah. You're definitely the prophet, yeah. right? So there's, and, and you mentioned something in the book about, you know, there's emotional language between people. There's emotional connections between people. My hypothesis is this. Now I want to see what, what your thoughts are is that, there's things like body language. There's nonverbal communication that now, you know, quote unquote, science has has proven, right? Um, that there's ways of picking up on nonverbal cues. There's ways of picking up on signals such as, like you mentioned, the the khatib, right? Mm -hmm. There's a way to there's a way, regardless of what the khatib is saying, mm -hmm. to understand is this person talking down to me, or does this person care about me? Mm -hmm. And so even when someone is speaking, like you can tell, oh, this came from the heart. And there's a there's a connection. Yeah. Have you found anything that indicates from what's happening in these brief interactions where people are meeting Rasulullah yeah. yeah. and just being like, Yes, okay, you're the prophet. So I accept. This is this is huge. Um we might need a whole another podcast for this. Listen, let's so, do it. <laughs> so so check it. There's a really good book. Um there's a book called BS. Okay, it's a very short book. Yeah, I got it. You have it? Okay. Yeah. 
it's Henry, not called BS. Henry Miller, right? Or yeah, it has the whole word there. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He talks about something called hodgepodge, which was the old word for BS, which means you're saying something true, but you don't mean it. You're just saying it. Right. Okay. And he talked. To, he talks about how we as a people have got to the point where we completely accept BS, meaning we don't we disregard whether that person actually means what they're saying and you can look at the political environment to see that clearly you bring up something interesting which is people would literally just watch the prophet and be convinced that he was a prophet of god yeah it's not even just being convinced that he's sincere a good guy it's just like yeah this person is receiving revelation i need to listen to and follow him remember they knew his claim Mm. they knew his claim See, authenticity, I think, builds trust. And if you trusted him, his claim was that he's a prophet. Mm. L- let me give, there's a key example I end the book with. No, no, towards the end of the book. With Adi bin Hatim, who says he was walking me, so I said him, he was walking me to his house. And an elderly lady stopped him. Yeah. I'm... Right? And she just talked to him. And he stood there listening to her. And I and I try to picture this because I think it's good to picture the Prophet Sallallahu in these things mentally. I think you can grow your relationship when you actually picture these things in your head. The Prophet Sallallahu stops and he's just listening to this elderly lady. And, and you can imagine, she, this lady's older than him. Right. She's an elder in the community. You can imagine how she's just being straightforward with him. You know? Yeah, talking about whatever. Yeah, you know. She, she knows her age, you know, she knows his age, she has respect, but nonetheless, you know, she's older. And he says that basically I could tell by how he listened to her that he must be a prophet. And this is when he was debating in his head that is, is he a king or is he a prophet? He wasn't yes. sure. And, to and me, that sealed the deal. That seals the deal because he's like, there's no way this man is a politician. Because, okay, you got to remember, what's his claim? His claim is that I'm a prophet of God. Right. And if the claim is I'm a prophet of God, well, that makes you the best of all of us. All right. So why do you want that claim? Like, is is this self-serving? Right. And if you're a politician, you're not going to give that person time because you're only going to deal with someone to the extent that you extract value from the interaction. Oh, I mean, that is another topic we need yeah. to really. Oh, man, that that's huge. Because, see, what I find is people are very emotional, intelli- emotionally intelligent when they got something they can get out of it. Yeah, that's... <laughs> so So the guy who's proposing to the girl, she'll be like, yeah, his emotional intelligence is through the roof. I'm like, yeah, give it five months. Right. No, give it a year, three years. We'll see where it is. Because now it has to be purely done for the sake of Allah, mm-hmm. not for your personal gain. You know, we know how to be there present. So, so again, back to this point... Um, you talk about did people? What was it that people could just look at him and say he must be a prophet of God? Well, the way I I see it is, you know, I think it. I think, and I may be mistaken. It was Salman Farsi, radiAllahu an, who said I looked at his face and knew that he wasn't the. It wasn't the face of a liar, hmm. right? He's like I looked at his face, so. I think we need to there we we need to read more. We need to do some research. What is it that is showing in someone's face that shows that they are authentic, they are true, they're not they're, So I'll tell you so one this has been a this has been an area of research for the Khati workshop project. And that is the idea of 
the nonverbal communication, the message that it communicates. So one one idea being that someone could come and tell you technically all the things that are correct, mm-hmm. but you leave saying, I got a bad vibe, right? Like you can't point out anything the person said wrong, mm-hmm. but you just leave saying something didn't sit right. I got a bad feeling. Even though you can't articulate what was wrong, something was off. And on the flip side, someone could come and they might not be the greatest speaker. They may have horrible grammar, mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. heavy accent, it's hard to understand them. And people walk out saying they spoke from the heart. Like there was a, there was a connection there. Mm. And I think in my, my theory, and I have you know, limited to information to base this off of, is I think that in those interactions, there was something in either the body language of the Prophet or something communicating that it's like the ISS. That he is uh, concerned over the believers almost more than they are of themselves. Yeah, and I think that there's there's something in that his emotional intelligence was so attuned to what people needed that he was able to establish a connection with them almost deeper than other people would be able to in that short amount of time. Mm, yeah, and th- I think I agree hundred percent to support what you're saying. I think we need to look at those hadith that say if you were in a gathering with him you felt like he was giving you the most attention. Oh, it's like the famous story when... Uh, yeah, Amr bin As. Yeah, yeah that, I begin the who's, book with who's that. Who's your favorite person? He's yes. like, Aisha. He's like, well, from the guy. Yeah, yeah. Her father. Yeah. Well, who's after that? And after that? And if I mean, you have to kind of like realize that this one man... And, and, and there's a hadith of Ali radiallahu an, which is more explicit, that if you were in a gathering, you felt as if he, he focused on you the most. How? Like So one so Sheikh Naveed Aziz, a uh, good friend of ours, yes, did a series on this book yes. recently. Yes. And he brought up something that I that really struck a chord with me. So if you remember there's there's a newer movie and there's an older movie, uh What Men Want, What Women Want. Okay, yes, right? yes, and it, yes. And it's like a little sci fi thing where like uh, suddenly a person is able to hear the thoughts yes. of the opposite gender and everything that they're thinking in their head. And he said that you know, the person's going crazy because they, they want to turn it off. And he was saying that imagine that a prophet is so emotionally attuned to people they're that in. they're taking it all in and they know exactly what each... Because the pinnacle of emotional intelligence, right, if the yes. prophets have perfected it, yes, is that they're attuned to what every single person wants. Yes. And we see that because people like Armab Nal'as think because of the way that he's treating wow. me, he's so wow. attuned to what I'm thinking and needing... I must be his favorite person. Wow, that's but he was like that with everyone. And so I thought that was worth mentioning. You know, that, that's an amazing example. Most people would want that turned off because you know why? It would lead it's, to It would be exhausting. Exhausting. It's compassion fatigue almost. Compa- literally. Literally. Com- and, and so, you know, oh, this is amazing. So I'm so happy you brought that up because um, you know the incident where the tree cried? Right. The member. I make a hypothesis here. And and if it's from if it's correct, inshallah, if it's wrong, may Allah protect and forgive me. Um, my hypothesis is this. The Sahaba heard the crying that day. They didn't know where it was coming from until the Prophet told them. The tree was crying, the Prophet recognized it was crying. Another example, the 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 stones are doing to speak. The Prophet puts it in the hands of Abu Bakr and they do tasbih and he passes. My theory on this is that the miracle is not that a tree cried. 
but rather the miracle is that the Sahaba were elevated to the emotionally aware and intelligent level of the Prophet for a moment in time. Such that they could hear, hear and see what, what he, he yeah. normally heard and saw. He saw That's it all the time. He experienced it all the time. He was constantly aware. And it didn't wear him out. And which it is didn't amazing. wear him out. But they would occasionally, in these moments, hear what he heard regularly. They got a and glimpse. They got a glimpse. And and if that's the case, what does that say about emotional connection to people? You know, and, and we didn't get a chance to talk about it. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about it. But, you know, there's this misunderstanding of what it means to be a man and connected to emotions. And one of the biggest problems that the Prophet said to them, no, not problems. It wasn't a problem. One of the biggest things he was combating was this idea of what it meant to be a man in his society. Like, no emotions. I've never kissed a child ever. This you is know? back to double loop, right? Because he's having to challenge their frameworks. <laughs> yeah. Like, someone, I put it in the book, someone literally asked him when he was crying at his grandchild's death, what oh. is that? And yeah. he's like, it's mercy. But it's it's so amazing that in that moment, like, I can't imagine, like, you know, may Allah protect all of us. But if your child dies, you don't want someone coming up to you like a random fatwa question yeah. or like a random what, any question what is of that? any sort, you know? And they're like, what is that? And he says, mercy. And he still answered it, <sighs> which is amazing. SubhanAllah. So, so, so again, um, I, I I'm passionately feel that this... Attaching, uh, connecting to our emotional side, understanding people. This is one of the most rewarding things we can do, and it is the most one of the most fulfilling things. It will get us out of the rat race. You know, take my my advice to our listeners is this: take an employee, at, take an employee or a coworker at work, invest five minutes of pure time into that person. Watch what happens. Just learning about them or... Just, how are you? How's everything? How's how's your family doing? But you're li- remember, it's not about you at that moment. Mm-hmm. It's all about them. Do this at work. Then go home, do this. Maybe first day, two people's enough. <laughs> you're going to be tapped out. Yeah. But start to build genuine presence and concern for people's well-being. And you will see your influence. And we don't do it for influence. We don't do it for that reason. Right. That's the key. We're not like... The intention always has to be right. Yes. We don't do it for that reason. But watch what you'll see. You'll see these people will be like clay in your hands. Because this person listened to me sincerely and authentically. Right. And so my advice to our listeners is just realize the power. Realize the power of your time and take that time and give it to someone that's selflessness that's what people will always remember that's why teachers are always remembered because of the investment they make yeah they get the least amount of money but why do we remember our first second grade third grade fourth grade teacher why do we remember because they literally like gave us their time 
Like while I'm writing slowly an F backwards or a B backwards, the teacher's like, no, try it this way. And we're like, this person's just literally giving me moments of their life. Right. What can be more precious than that? Like all I have truly is my life. And here I just gave you five minutes. Pure five minutes for you. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I feel like this is the lost link in our uh, relationship with Allah and, our, and with people. And I'm struggling as a, just so our listeners know, like I, I struggle with this. And um, I keep preaching on it and talking about it because I myself am working to master it. And it, and it takes time, you know. Um, maybe it takes maturity. I think when we're in our 20s and lower 30s, we're like, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. I gotta. You don't got to do things. You, you know, I think it was Hamza Yusuf who said, you know, we're not human doings. We're called human beings. <laughs> We need to just learn how to be with people, you know, and yeah. be, you know. And that doesn't mean we don't do stuff as well, but, uh, you know. It gets lost sometimes. Yeah, man. It gets lost. Okay. It's lost. All right, Shakes. So I think that's a good a good point to end on. I think we might have to do a follow-up episode because we yeah, still got I would love to, man. a this, lot to talk about, inshallah. So much. So much. I, I'm One of the topics I want to talk about, if we get a chance again, is uh, you know, something called, uh, it's kind of off topic, but uh, it's called muscular bonding. I think you should look it up it's a pretty interesting concept i have not heard of that muscular bonding um there's quite a few articles on this topic and um what happens in when people muscularly bond and what does it even mean i don't and even know what it means it, it's i profound. just know that when people say muscular they think of me yeah you know but. <laughs> yeah so but no check that 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 out i think you'll find it interesting and uh it's something i think we could talk about in the future there's so many things man I'm all right and i'll We'll, we'll throw all the links to your social media and the book and everything in the show notes. Yeah, we're working and on the second print. Um, you know, we'll have the second print out soon. We have to clean up some, you know, edits and things like that. And uh, uh, the second print will be out. It's not a second edition. It's a second print. Um, and so, yeah, it's, 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 we need people to be writing on these topics for, for the educated Muslim community. If, and, if, and if I can, I just want to make one last point because this has been something I've been abdicating for for so long. I went to a bookstore in New York maybe last year, mm -hmm. and their book selection was exactly the same as what it was probably like 20 years ago, and nothing had changed, and it was just the same... Islamic bookstore? Islamic bookstore. Yeah. You yeah. probably know which one. No, I don't, Okay, but, but it, It's the same outdated translations that are hard to read, hard to follow, and it's refreshing that people are writing original works in the English language, so yeah, yeah. inshallah, this is a benefit that was, to that the was, audience. That was something I really wanted to do. It's hard... Uh, it's hard because, you know, and this is a different topic, but just for our listeners, I highly advise our listeners to silence the inner critics. Silence your critics. What do I mean by that? If there was no one to find fault in your action, what projects would you start today? And you'll mm -hmm. find that the main thing holding you back from some of the biggest things and, and most profound uh, projects that can in fact impact society or people is your fear of critique. Just slay that that dragon, man. Slay it. And and I give shout out to my, uh, someone who gave me a lot of encouragement, uh, Sister Hina Zuberi. She yeah. was my first editor ever and I was having trouble writing and she said, your problem is the inner critic. You're worried about what everyone's gonna say about what you write. And, and I said, yeah. She said, so what? Stop, silence it. And for people that don't know, Sister Hina is probably one of the People that has kept Muslim matters alive, yeah, uh, and done a lot of hard work there. Yeah. So, so my advice to our listeners is: there are tons of projects, 
but you're letting that inner critic stop you. And that's bad. Fear can't control a believer. Fear cannot control a believer because we have no higher fear than Allah. And so that's just some of my parting advice for our listeners. Um, I want to uh, thank you for oh, bringing me on the show, man. I mean, this thank was you for great. giving us your time. No, yeah. man, this was I. I all we have is time, right? <laughs> Subhanallah. All we have is time. Inshallah. All right. Sakala khair. All right. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Google Play or whatever podcast player you use. And please rate and review the podcast. As always, if you share it with a friend that's much appreciated, you can check the show notes for all the details and links. See you in the next episode.